0: It's Romans 8, verses 14 to 28. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about by your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to Sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this we hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have. And just listen again to this next verse. Listen carefully to it. For one or two this morning, I spoke about this. If we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. That's hard. Right. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through the worldless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And we know God will bless his word.
1: Roderick, thanks uh, very much for reading. It's so great to have you looking so well back in church and thank you for the sermon in the middle as well. It's wonderful. (laughs) Almost my work is done here. That's wonderful. Uh, One of my jobs is I'm a DDO and I listen to people who are exploring uh, ordination, wondering if it's for them. And one of the things we spend a long time talking about is uh, Holy Communion, the Eucharist. And all I can say is Dave is very lucky that he's through the other side of, uh, of it, otherwise there'll be lots of theological conversation after that. Well done, very good. I'm intrigued. Uh, and uh, the other thing is, um, I'm, I'm worried because I thought I was preaching next Sunday evening, so I think this week I'm going to be sacked, judging by what Dave said, because I think this is my last sermon, so uh, the tea will be a celebration that I'm not here next week. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Anyway, we need to pray, we've got a great passage this morning, there's a lot in here. And uh, let's just ask God to be right at the centre. He's here. He loves us all tremendously. He's a kind God, a compassionate God. Lord, we just thank you for St. Paul who wrote these words down a long time ago now. Thank you for his wisdom, his ability to really reflect on you and understand what you're doing. And we pray now that these words would come alive as we explore them, and all we ask is that we can be uh, more assured that we're your children, and that we can be deeper in love with you because of this time reflecting. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, it was June 1985, it was the night before my geography A-level, and for some reason, Very helpfully, before an A-level, I found my uh, myself having a row with my mum. For those of you who don't know what A-levels are, they're like hires but harder. Anyway, (laughs) it's true. It's a year further on, but uh, and especially back when I did them, it's like a PhD now for those of you who are wondering. So I found myself anyway having a row with my mum, and it wasn't a good thing. And I behaved uh, very. Uh, very poorly and I didn't like myself uh, very much at the end of it. I was battling I knew with hatred in my heart and so I knew what I had to do because I'd been putting it off uh, for ages. I went into my room and in that uh, post-row quietness, you know when tumbleweed is going around the house, in my heart I cried out to God. I said, God, well, I didn't actually say this. This is, this is sort of the condensed version of it. But I said, God, I don't want to be the person I am. Forgive me. Jesus, come into my life. I'll do anything for you. And it felt really powerful. I'd said something I'd been meaning to say for a long time. God and I had been having skirmishes for a good few months. And this was the moment I needed to engage with him. But this suddenly became more than words, it became emotional. I started crying, um, but it was more than tears. I felt something burning inside of me and my heart started pumping. Something was actually physically happening to me. What was it? I felt like I was being cleansed, felt like I was being reprogrammed just as the NHS is uh, enjoying doing, uh, well, I don't think it's enjoying doing it, but it's doing it at the moment. It felt very real. I felt adored, I felt loved and knew. It was as if there was a power whirring about inside me. I'd been connected to something which was uh, beyond me. I'd called out to God and the reality of God filled me. I didn't understand it at the time, but I liked it. And my life was changed forever. It was the defining moment of my life. It still is. It was a moment where I abandoned myself in desperation to God. And in return, he assured me of his love and his presence filled me. And uh, that I know now to be the Holy Spirit. Energy, hope, peace, excitement, clarity and purpose are what I felt. And that moment still defines me. It became fuel, if you like, for my life I had discovered the joy of the Holy Spirit. It was dynamic, significant, important. I now knew that God was with me. It was an ecstatic moment, and for a couple of years, I must admit, I just lived off it. However, no matter how good moments like that are, no matter how much they can sustain you, perhaps in the initial days, weeks, months, and maybe years, And certainly, as you've heard they did for me, life can and does take over. There's a huge list of things which start and can start to dull our connection with God. Just pressures and pains and temptations and demands and relationships, money and career and debt and suffering, illness, isolation, loneliness, health, addiction, fear, anxiety, depression, selfishness, disappointment, despair, all these and much much more can come and crowd into life and sometimes take over and stop you following God and being dynamic for God and trusting him. The moment God fills you and forgives you is completely great but keeping going after that is complicated And Paul, the writer of this passage, knew this so much. He was writing in this passage from Romans 8 just to keep those, encouraged to keep keeping those early Christians uh, going, especially when life was tough, as it often was for them. They did know about suffering. He wrote this uh, and uh, recognised that even though you can begin well, to keep going is pretty hard. Occasionally it's easier to give up or ignore our faith rather than to keep going. But for Paul, this isn't the full story. He wants his readers to know that within God, despite everything, there is enough to sustain you and keep you going whatever life throws your way. In the complications and in uncertainties of the life, God is completely there and engaging and empowering with whatever Even when you don't see it clearly, or experience it, or think it, or feel it, something of God, what we call the Holy Spirit, is present. And it's powerful stuff. And as Paul is writing down these verses, and this is probably some of the best stuff Paul has written. If You you, you could reflect on this passage for years, and you would get closer and closer to God. It's an amazing uh, passage of Scripture, Romans 8. As Paul is writing these verses down he does something very important here because what's going on in his head as he's reflecting and thinking is actually he's looking backwards to the old testament in order to help us to move forwards he goes back so we can move on sometimes we do need to go back to move forwards like any great counselor paul is taking us back so we can make sense of things uh, back then and so we can move into the future uh, with greater, uh, perception, with a greater perception, freedom and understanding. If we look back, we can sometimes make sense of now in a much more powerful way. And in these verses, Paul is thinking back to the children of Israel. They were escaping the evil and brutal regime of the pharaoh of Egypt. He's also thinking back right to the beginning of creation, but also he's thinking forward to the new hope which uh, Christians have of the new heavens and the new earth. Out of this pours a wonderful understanding of the Holy Spirit, and that really helps us right now. So if we can have our Bibles open, we'll need them open this morning if we've got no more Bible apps open on phones or if you are that capable that you've just memorised it, get your memory banks into Romans 8. But um, I'm going to go backwards first, and um, I'm going to just think about verses 14 to 18. And uh, I don't know in your Bibles if it's all split up with lots of little words of paragraph beginnings. Just ignore those. Those are a human invention, as in verses are human inventions. It was just blobbed down, written in Greek on the paper, and to help us understand somebody's divided it up, but it wasn't divided up, as the sections in the NIV uh, say. So just ignore those. I'm just going to go for it blob by blob, and we're doing verse 14 to 18. That is a technical term. Verse 14 says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So we we'll go back to Exodus, uh, and there we see, if you know the story of Exodus, uh, other people who God led and these people are the children of Israel. Back then, you'll read it in Exodus 13, God used a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire by night uh, to guide the children of Israel, to lead them. And the idea is simple. God was just there with his people, his children, guiding them and showing them the way. If we're followers of Jesus, we too have the same opportunity as the children of Israel. We, as children of God, are led by the Holy Spirit. It's not the visible fire and smoke uh, used to guide the children of Israel, but the invisible presence of the Holy Spirit, who dynamically calls us and leads us forward, who keeps us going, who keeps showing us and keeps encouraging us, To keep God at the centre of things, the presence of the Spirit means we have the dynamic lead of God in our lives. The Holy Spirit leads us across the choppy waters like the Red Sea, uh, which could engulf us. The Holy Spirit somehow gets us through the wilderness and the desert and the dark and uncertain times uh, and is with us. The Holy Spirit gets us through long terms of turmoil and uncertainty just as the pillar of smoke and fire did back then for the children of Israel. And Paul keeps on developing this Exodus argument in verse 15. For you didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received a spirit of adoption when we cry, Abba, Father. Even though we have the Holy Spirit in us, sometimes it's easier to think, our old life is better. It's less complicated, uh, the old life. It's it's easier sometimes not being a Christian. Even after the magnificence of knowing you're forgiven and the wonder of being empowered by the Holy Spirit, it is easy to go backwards because you see old securities and old habits and old harmful relationships and old hopes and old dreams have an attraction for the children their old life was actually being slaves back in the tyranny of Egypt. But when they realised, even though there was the visible presence of God there every day to lead them, the fire and cloud was going, when they realised, actually, this following God stuff and going to this promised land stuff is, is quite hard, when they realised it was going to take ages to walk there, when they were tired and exhausted and energy, energy levels were low and hope was absent... They dreamed of going back. They dreamed of being slaves again. That was the easy life. Life was certain then. You knew just what to do. Someone has said, it's always hard and stony when you're walking from Egypt to Canaan. As it was then, it's always the way. Even when we have the Holy Spirit to lead and encourage us, it is sometimes easier to go back. The temptation is huge. But Paul reminds the church it's a temptation which leads back to fear and anxiety. Keep going forward, says Paul. Don't go backwards. A friend of mine um, who, who's addicted uh, to alcohol, Mark, um, is really pleased at the moment because he's gone 13 months uh, without a drink. And every time I see him, he tells me almost, it was the number of days, then it's turned into weeks, and now it's turned into months, and now it's, it's gone over the year. And he's really, really pleased that he is, he, his, he, he feels as though he's moving forward in his life. He's come off the alcohol. But actually, it's really hard for him. He tells me I was really tempted last week. And the, the hard place for him is old relationships. He's really tempted to go back to old relationships. But he knows he can't, he can't do that because that means he will become surrounded by alcohol again and his addiction will probably take over again. And he needs to be reminded, and I need to assure him and say, this is just completely fantastic that you've made it this far. And can I just tell you, he has turned into a really beautiful person. There were signs of beauty before, but now he's really uh, going to it. And he's, he just needs to be assured. He needs people to encourage him. Keep going forward. You're doing brilliantly. Live in today and move forward to the next day. And that's the Holy Spirit's job. Don't go back to the old fears, the old mistakes. Keep moving forward. A key way, way God does this, actually, is just to simply remind us that we are his children. As we see all the way through this section, people are led by the Spirit, people who are accompanied, if you like, by the Spirit, people who know the Spirit or filled with the Spirit, whichever definition works best for you, have a deep and profound knowledge that they are children of. Of God. They belong to God, not as slaves, but as family. When the spirit comes into somebody's life, the first sign is they recognize God as Father. A realization occurs that there is, there is now a very strong bond and connection with God. Powerful connection, a link, something of God's DNA is becomes part of our DNA. We are God's children. There's a relationship going on. And a key part of Christian discipleship is to recognize God's voice and then to nurture the faculty of listening, simply listening to it. One of the key things that God's Spirit tells us is if we listen out, we are God's children. That is the Holy Spirit in us. We have an identity which unites all followers of God. We are children of God and it's the Holy Spirit ticking away in us which enables us to know this. The realisation that I am a child of God is perhaps the most profound work of the Holy Spirit. My identity, your identity, all of our identities, all of what makes us us is now completely and unbreakably linked to God. And one of the key things is that because we are God's children, you'll see in verse 17, we have an inheritance. We share with Jesus, God's son, in the inheritance, the gifts, the future of God. We are heirs, it says. Now, the children of Israel, as they went on their uncertain, often frustrating journey, had an inheritance. Their inheritance, if they stuck with it, was the land of Canaan, the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. The children of God's inheritance, though, is on a way bigger scale. It's the whole world. It's all of creation. And it's going to be given over to Jesus, the Messiah, and his people. And the Holy Spirit keeps us focused, keeps us going, and allows us to face the difficulties and the rubbish which can be part of life. And the Holy Spirit enables us and empowers us to get to a future that God is giving to his children, which is ours to inherit. And in verse 18, we see this inheritance is completely glorious. The settled new land, the land flowing with milk and honey, must have been fantastic for the children of Israel? Well, the inheritance um, of the children of God is fantastic too. God gave the children of Israel deep hope as they went through their journey and their suffering that there would be a beautiful conclusion to their story. The Holy Spirit gives us hope that despite everything, there is a beautiful conclusion to our stories And sometimes we have to be patient about it, as Roderick reminds us. The Holy Spirit is with us, reminding us we're part of an amazing thing. We are so connected to God that glory and hope and joy will be our future. We gain glimpses and moments of them now, but soon that is going to be our life. The Holy Spirit leads us through darkness and helps us to get to the light. And you see, the world is completely desperate for this. And to help us see this, Paul takes us back into the Garden of Eden and especially to chapter 3 of Genesis. And in the next verses, he explains how creation is waiting for all of this, which he has started to describe. Uh, we We see this in verse 19, as children of God, we are what the world has been waiting for. The world is waiting for you and the world is waiting for me. For all God's children to be revealed. Because as we know from that terror story of Genesis 3, that creation is waiting desperately be put right. Just see verses 20 and 21. Something is out of kilter. Adam and Eve are being chucked out of the garden, and the creation is completely fed up about it, and it's waiting to be free. Creation is fed up of being Genesis 3. It's fed up of not being right. It's fed up of sin and being broken and abused. It is waiting so it can benefit wonderfully when God's children are glorified. Then creation Will be free. Then it will be engaged with properly. Then it will be the plea, place it was always meant to be. The end of the story is not a sort of disembodied heaven which we all go to and float around on, in, on clouds. That's, that's nonsense. The end of the story is a whole new world. Creation is longing to be that new world. And we, the children of God, are the people who, who are the people of the Holy Spirit, are vital for that new world. Verse 22, creation is groaning like a woman in childbirth, waiting and willing and, dare I say it, pushing for it to happen. Something is not right, but creation is poised and ready and waiting to be right. And we see in verse 23, it's not just creation groaning and longing for this, but it's now also we, the children of God, who are groaning and sighing. We're waiting. We're living in the tension. This is all heightened by the Holy Spirit at work in us. We have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, something deep within us knows that there is something more on the way. Just as creation is in labour, longing for God's new world to be born, the church is sharing in that pain and that hope. The pain of the world, the failures, the brokenness, the difficulty, the poverty, injustice, the ignorance of all that makes the world an unsatisfactory place are caught up uh, in all of this uh, as we're caught up in the world. As children of God, uh, we are hopeful. We have an invisible hope and we wait for it. But it's hard, because we are not apart from the pain of the world. But we're in it. We're living in this world with this pain. We're feeling it, and we groan, and we pray about it. And for me at the moment, as I look at the world, it sums up my prayer life, because how do you pray for what's going on in the world at the moment? It seems a bit bonkers. And so I find I'm groaning. I find as I think about the world, I'm a bit sad at the moment. I'm bereft. Often this world is disappointing. The national conversation is being caught up, it seems, in division. And the world gets unfairer and fairer. I long for a just world, but it's getting unfairer rather than fairer. And disappointment tinges my prayers, as I hope for something that is different. And God is caught up in all this too. If we look at verse 27, this verse gives God a title he said it God has this title God the searcher of hearts God the searcher of hearts. And it gives the idea of somebody, I don't know if you've got an attic or something which is quite dark and you need a, a torch to go up and I doubt that it's like that in Edinburgh. It's all been converted and we've got wonderful shower rooms and ensuite stuff up there. But <laughs> anyway, it gives an idea just imagine, we go, we're going back years and years when there was such a thing as attics and no bulbs up there. And you have a torch and you go up into the, the attic, it's completely dark. And it's, it's an idea of God searching around in a dark place and he sees lots of things as he's searching. But he's looking for something in particular, you know, that intentional search, and uh, and he's going around in the dark, and uh, he's really looking for that one thing. At first glance, when I think about this, this sounds terrible. I don't want God to be poking around in my heart with a torch, because what is in there is completely embarrassing. It's dark, and it's shameful, and it's secret, and I don't want God poking around in that. I'm embarrassed. I don't want him to see all that stuff. But you see, God isn't searching out for that stuff. He's not searching out for the negative stuff in our lives. We often transform sort of our thoughts of God uh, because we've had a, a really negative experience with somebody in authority. I've got an evil demon headmaster written down here. We've, had, we've got an experience of that kind of person, we transfer that person in authority who's not very nice onto God. But that's not God. That isn't God. God's not trying to catch us out, you know, for I came into this world to catch you out. That's not a thing of the kingdom. He is searching us out and looking for the spirit. And what he's looking for is that groaning in our hearts. God is not apart from the pain, but dwelling in it and searching for it and groaning with us in it. At the point when we're struggling, for example, when we're struggling to pray, when we have completely no idea, when we've got no words for what is going on, when we're overwhelmed, just at that point, the Spirit is most obviously at work. It is groaning. The Spirit is groaning. And he's groaning a prayer beyond prayer, digging down into the cold, dark depths beyond human sight or knowing. Nothing is beyond this searcher of hearts. There he is, with us, joining in, participating. So fantastic when I discovered I was a child of God back in 1985. It was fantastic having that immense feeling that I was so loved ...and accepted by God. I felt I'd completely cocked my life up, but God turned it round. It was so fantastic that the Holy Spirit filled me and gave me immense energy and drive to get going with following Jesus. The wonderful thing also for me is at the same time I had a feeling that God was calling me. A vocation emerged and it was a simple call which was given to me in that room as I was saying yes to Jesus... And the call was simply, tell people about Jesus. At the time, all I wanted to do uh, as well, after being uh, having that experience, was to tell people about how brilliant Jesus is. So it felt quite an easy call, because Jesus is brilliant. He is the most wonderful Jesus. But also, what I didn't know, his wonder is so much deeper, because in 1985... I was on the rooftops, I was literally dancing with joy. But I've discovered too, God is down in the sewers of tears and of pain. And all this is to do with being a child of God, being filled with the Holy Spirit, who is a spirit who is with you. a Spirit is with you sometimes even when you don't wish it, but he's with you groaning. Keeping you going, He's with you, helping you to keep going with Jesus. And despite everything I've seen or met, I've never met anything more incredible or more wonderful than Jesus. The Holy Spirit keeps me focused on Jesus. Now this is my last morning sermon at Peace and Cheese, and it does feel an inc- a really really great occasion. It comes with a thankful heart for six years of being with some quite wonderful people who have set me free and been able to uh, share something of the Jesus I know with me and I love that. And it's been a privilege to minister with such a people as uh, P's and G's. So thank you so much. The depth and the godliness of this church are astounding and I love you for that. Thank you. But I'm very excited about mustard seed and community admission and what's going to happen. And all I can say now is please do pray for us as we continue to work it out and continue to move forward, taking this message that everyone can be a child of God, that everyone can be a person who has the Holy Spirit with them, helping and supporting them. But I'm here in this moment speaking to you because of that event back in 1985. God changed me then and invited me On a journey as his child. He gave me his Holy Spirit. And it's been joyful. But it's also been hard. In other words. It has been real. And that is who God is. At the end of things. God is real. And he's in reality. And he's here right now in our reality. And this wonderful God. Is searching our hearts. Not in a negative catch you out kind of way. But he's loving us is embracing us. He's listening out for our groans. He's laughing with us. He's doing all the things which we are doing right now. And he's engaged in those secret heart places. He's present. He's bringing transformation into those moments. He is taking us from places with no hope to places of every hope. And I have a simple prayer this morning as I was thinking about this. Firstly, if you don't know you're a child of God, I jolly would, well would love you to know you are a child of God by the time you leave this place. Taking communion is a brilliant place to just respond and say, thanks God, I'm your child and I'm going to take all the benefits that, that brings with me. I'd love you to know that, that by the end of this morning. It's just a prayer. You don't even need to pray because he knows the secrets of our hearts. But we, we as evangelicals like to have a prayer. But, you know, that's fine. But if you are a child of God, and I know so many of us here are, and you are, you are incredible, and, and I love you for it, that you encourage me to keep going. But if you are a child of God, my prayer is, if you're thinking about this is too much, if you're thinking about giving up, all I want to encourage you to do is keep going with him, despite everything. It can be hard, I know that. But the fantastic thing, even if that's the case, we have a story, we have this reality That God is with us in it. And I'm going to just leave us with the last verse, this gift of a verse. uh, 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 Our last verse, verse 28 in the passage. Which simply says, and we know in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his purpose. We have a purpose. We are children of God. That is our identity. We have the Holy Spirit who can guide us and transform us. And we're invited into this special place of God this morning. God bless you all.